What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to the Nutra Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really, the best way to describe this person is my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. Phil, good to be with you. Uh, another happy holiday season to you. For those people watching on YouTube, Phil, our backgrounds pretty much sum up our personalities. Yours is beautiful. You've got a nice decorated tree. You've got some artwork. You're clearly, uh, at least in somebody's home, I would assume it's yours. Meanwhile, I just in an I'm abyss. in a small right. hole, a pit, if you will. Um, I've been trying to get out for days, but uh, you know, I'm just I'm a blank canvas, Phil. That's true. Uh, just an, an abyss. It, you could be anywhere in the entire world right now. Exactly. I could be behind you, just like in a little bitty spot there. That would be kind of strange. Maybe you would hear some echo through the microphones. Not with the uh, audio quality of the neutral zone, I don't think. That's true. We have advanced technology. Thank you to our engineers for making this possible. Yeah. We have a great show in store uh, for NZ Nation here today. We're going to talk about how the Broncos can take the momentum that they that they somehow manufactured against the Chiefs last week. See if they can take that into this week against the Panthers. Because, Eric, I would probably argue that if the Broncos played the same way that they did last Sunday night this week, they probably will beat the Panthers. Maybe they'll never lose again. Maybe, maybe. But uh, that might be a little bit more difficult considering their top three defensive backs will not be playing in this game. We uh, will dive into what the Broncos might be able to do on defense. A little bit similar to that game where they didn't have any quarterbacks. Now they don't have any cornerbacks. What's Kendall Hinton up to? Yeah. I mean, he could probably do anything. A Swiss army knife. That's true. Yeah, so we'll get into that. Uh, we have a nice conversation with James Lofton. He'll be on the broadcast for CBS on Sunday. Of course, a Hall of Fame wide receiver. We'll talk to him about uh, what's going on with Jerry Judy a little bit. Uh, a Hall of Fame wide receiver imparting some wisdom that maybe uh, Jerry Judy can use a little bit. And uh, we'll also talk to him about what he's seen from Drew Locke and some other things. He'll be on the call for CBS on Sunday. So uh, a preview of the game with James Lofton. Plus we'll get into our usual shenanigans, Eric fact, fact, or, and fiction. I think it's and fiction. I'm not sure. It's kind and of then, changed each week. Yeah. And uh, we'll also play fill in the blank. That's a good one. That's a fun one. How about this show? Huh? I mean, can you, can you handle it, Eric? I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll have to find out. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the neutral zone, there are a million ways you can do this. Okay. Probably the best way to do it is to call 707 neutral and leave a voicemail. We'll play it right here in the show. But Eric, if you don't feel comfortable, maybe you're a little shy. You don't want to leave a voicemail. You could also write an email to the show. You could leave an email, yeah. Neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. 
Phil, I could also I could give out your home address if you wanted me to, so people could just stop by and say hello. Stop by right here behind me. Yeah, is that an ornament with a picture of my face on it? <laughs> yes, they're yeah, actually they're, like, they're all actually of you, my everything. <laughs> where where do I buy one of those? Yeah, or you made you Custom. made those, didn't you? Etsy, Etsy, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> Santa's little workshop back here. I just made yeah. it. <laughs> Neutral Zone Nation. It's etsy.com backslash Phil Milani toy shop. Yeah, if, if you want them, I'm uh, I'm making multiple every night. So Come when, we're, get them. when we're not recording, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, you're much taller than most elves, but still just as capable. That's true. I'm like Will Ferrell. <laughs> I think Will Ferrell and I are and me are pretty much uh, the same height. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Erica, of course, this is coming out Thursday morning. Later tonight, uh-huh. the start of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah to, oh. uh, yeah, to you and all of, of our Jewish listeners. Yes. Or viewers, should I say, on YouTube? Does it? Does it start the night of the tenth or the eleventh? It starts Thursday night, at sundown, I believe. Well, I understand. I understand the concept of Hanukkah and how it works. The lights. Um, exactly. No, I, I grew up celebrating half the time, Phil, of course. Yeah. Um, but I uh, might have to work with Apple Calendar. They've got Friday as the date. So we'll, have to, we'll send them an email or voicemail and let them know. Yeah. Maybe you could put up some decorations in your house. Got lots of room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at Eric Delilah with an A. Very strange. At Phil Milani with a PH. Also very strange. So those are the best ways to get in touch. Be involved in the show. You can also leave a comment if you're listening uh, or watching on YouTube here. I read all the comments. Or Etsy. Oh, also Etsy. Or get in touch with us on Etsy. Yeah, exactly. Not a sponsor of the show, but could be if no, they're no, interested. No, no. Definitely not. Could be if they're interested. <laughs> Possibly. Eric, with that, let's dive right in. Uh, uh, in my personal opinion, I think the Broncos played their best game of the season against the Chiefs. What can they take from that game? What worked against the defending Super Bowl champs that they could use again this week as they go on the road back-to-back weeks, this time to Charlotte? Well, you know what occurred to me, Phil? Um, it's kind of a dumb point or maybe not super astute. It's what we're used to from you. So yeah, pretty consistent. Um, I like didn't realize until this morning that the Broncos scored more touchdowns than the Chiefs. Last game. Yeah. Yeah, they scored two and the Chiefs scored one. Like that, that to me, um, that normally means they're going to win the football game. Obviously, it didn't happen in this case, but... Um, offensively if they could use the same style of play running the ball being in manageable situations uh making good decisions which i'm talking really second drive to second to last drive here because obviously the first drive and the last drive didn't go great bad bookends Um, bad bookends exactly yeah need some new bookends um but sustained drives keeping the chiefs off the field that works even when you don't play Patrick Mahomes. And I think one of the Broncos' problems this year has been when they've played 
lesser quarterbacks than Mahomes, of which you could argue maybe every quarterback in the NFL is lesser than Mahomes. They, I know you, mm. sorry, I'm going to make you a little grumpy. Um, that there have been times when like, like say against the saints. And I know this is, it's hard to use that game as an example because there were no quarterbacks available for the Broncos, but take a performance like that. They were dominant at times against Taysom Hill. They were dominant at times against Tua Tagovailoa when he played uh, for the Dolphins. There were times, uh, you think, early in the first half against the Chargers where they shut Justin Herbert down. And yet they weren't able to take advantage offensively and kind of uh, you know build these long drives that when you do have a short field or you do force a three and out, you're able to make the most of that situation against the Chiefs. They largely did that when they stopped the Chiefs or held them to a field goal. They were able to respond with a long touchdown drive or uh, a long drive, even if it ended in a missed field goal or a, a turnover. That's what they need to do against the Panthers. If you can force Teddy Bridgewater into a mistake or you can force them off the field, which I think they'll be able to because Vic's defense is so good, you've got to be able to then take advantage, stay on the field, convert to third downs. That's how you're going to win this game. It is bad timing for the Broncos that Christian McCaffrey is going to be back this week. Uh, it's, a little bit... it's iffy now. You iffy. think it's iffy? He, he said uh, he was feeling pretty good earlier this week. Phil, you must not have been on uh, Twitter today. He suffered a thigh injury apparently during Wednesday's practice. You think a thigh injury is going to keep Christian McCaffrey out? The man's made of steel. Okay, I just you know, I don't think it's a sure thing anymore. Okay. I'm on Twitter all the time, Eric, unless I'm making ornaments. Okay. But it's bad time. I I think he's going to play, at least right now as we're recording this, I think he's going to play. So, um, but yeah, I think that if the Broncos can mimic their identity, the identity at least that we saw against the Chiefs on offense, you know, if they could replicate that where – they really were dominant with the run game. The offensive line played really well, and uh, Drew can minimize these mistakes. He sounds – he's given the same soundbite, I think, the last three or four weeks, Eric, where he's talking about, I just can't turn the ball over. Um, if he can somehow not turn the ball over this week, I do think that this team, uh, if they execute in the red zone similarly, the offensive side of the ball is going to see more points come. You know, I think that uh, execution in the red zone, which they did against the Chiefs, was really phenomenal. And like you mentioned, scoring touchdowns and not settling for field goals is big. On the defensive side, I felt like maybe when, uh, at least what I saw on Sunday night, they played don't break. We can bend, though. We can give up maybe some 20-yard plays here or there against some of those guys. But uh, once it comes to the red zone, let's really buckle down. I'm not sure if you have to do that against this Panthers offense. Um, you know, maybe you can force Bridgewater, get some pressure on him, uh, force him into some mistakes. I think that you could play a little more aggressive against uh, Carolina than you did against the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and so when you play a really good offense, um, this didn't really happen against the Chiefs, but we saw it happen against the Falcons where in a game where – you face a really good offense and they do have success, then it puts a ton of pressure on Drew Locke to keep up. Um, And I don't really like that type of matchup. I think this week's matchup works well for the Broncos, particularly in the red zone, 
Broncos have the second best red zone defense. The Panthers, I think, are 26th in the league um, at red zone offense. That's from your little weekly. Re- you got to change up probably fact, fact, and fiction now, huh? <laughs> oh, gosh. Tough. You got me. Um, so I, I like that. Of course, the, the Panthers have a bunch of guys that, you know, could probably hurt the Broncos on the COVID list right now. Who knows if a guy like DJ Moore is able to come off that list. I haven't, uh, to be honest, followed it closely enough to know if he's a close contact or if he's tested positive. Phil, since you're on Twitter all the time. I believe you know that he one? is, uh, uh, they have not indicated that, but they have not, uh, there's some thought that he might be available. Got it. That would obviously be um, bad for the Broncos if he can play. The Panthers placed eight players on the COVID list on uh, Monday, I believe. Yes. So they um, don't. They have not really indicated which ones have tested positive or not. Right. Well, they can't indicate that, but maybe you think it's reporters. Out, huh? Some R's could. Maybe need some better R's in Charlotte, huh? Ooh, is that a shot? I think you just took a shot. I don't know if you. I know it's just a thought, more a thought more than a shot. Got it. Got it. Are you could continue to talk? I don't know. Well, that was just kind of my thought that the the strength of the Broncos' defense lines up well with kind of the weakness of the Panthers' offense, and to me, that's a recipe for Broncos' win. You think that it's better to play a high-powered defense versus playing a high-powered offense for this year's Broncos team? In general. In general, I agree with that. Because I think um, when you face a high – like teams in the NFL, most teams, are going to score points regardless. You know, And when you face a high-powered offense, when you have a high-powered defense, the thought is kind of like we can shut them down and we can win a – a 20 to 17 game. And that almost worked against the chiefs. But sometimes what can happen is when your offense doesn't keep pace or turns the ball over, like we saw against the Falcons, the defense can only hold up for so long. And so, you know, the Falcons end up scoring what 31, 34 points, even though the defense did a reasonable job after halftime, just because of the number of opportunities they got. And so, yeah, I would, I think the Broncos are better suited for a game where, you know, maybe the offense struggles at times against a really strong defense and can score a couple of touchdowns. But if you're going to struggle regardless, I'd rather at least, you know, not face that high-powered offense on the other side. You know, you like to bring up some things where you just quite – you don't know the exact answer. You're like, what did they score, like 30-something points? And then with the listeners, like, well, how many did they score? And then, and then you just kind of wonder – the Broncos did give up 34 points to the Falcons, uh, but I do 31 or 34. It wasn't like I was like, did they give up 20 points or 57? It was within three points. You still wonder though. You're like, what's how the many answer? points did the Pittsburgh Steelers score against the Broncos in Week Two without this looking? Is, this is why you could trust fact, fact, or fiction. How many do you have? The, how many points did the Broncos had the Steelers score against the Broncos in Week Two? I, if you're just gonna ask me, I'd yeah, say 26. I would just say 26. <laughs> If you were just going to ask me, you're ridiculous, <laughs> but I don't bring points. it up. If I don't know, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's good. That's a classic. We Lucky. should add that to the time, to the time code, 10 you know minutes that, and 13 <laughs> seconds. Phil makes good joke. You know, you know what? What's lucky about that is that I tend to know everything. <laughs> 
So yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Eric, that kind of gets into our next point here. Uh, the this Broncos defense though is going to uh, be hamstrung in the secondary because no AJ Boye. He's been suspended six games here. Bryce Callahan is on IR uh, at least for two more weeks. And a same Bassey is lost with a knee injury. So now the Broncos number one defensive back is probably Michael Ojemudia. And we've, this hurts Phil. This hurts. <laughs> I was thinking about this on the drive in um, to the facility, which is where I am. Oh, um, you're at the facility. Yes. I thought this was your, I thought you were back. I thought you were back over here. Don't be, don't be silly. I just said, this is, I live here. Oh, you live. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Um, The Broncos have now lost at least for part of the season. Shelby Harris is back now, but they were without all three starting defensive linemen for a period of time. They are now without their top three cornerbacks. Von Miller is out for the season. Uh, you could argue, I don't know if you would, that, that Todd Davis was a starter. Um, uh, the, the reason I am hesitant to say Todd Davis is because the Broncos chose to let him go. That wasn't like an injury that they suffered. Yeah. Um, but essentially half of the defensive starters on your team are out. That's a one. I think that speaks to the job that Vic Fangio has been able to do that. Even with all these guys out, this defense has still played really well and, I mean, the fact – I was really worried, Phil. I said this on the pregame show before our Chiefs uh, game that I was worried about Bryce Callahan not being there. And the Broncos defense actually did a pretty nice job without him. But, like you said, it's a different challenge with him and Boye and Bassey out. Um, we don't know what the Carolina receiving core is going to look like. But, yeah, I'd expect Teddy Bridgewater to challenge those guys and and make them earn it. Um, and, unfortunately, to – you know, Will Parks gets thrust into a role right away, but to help the secondary field, you probably have to, you probably can't blitz as much as you would like to because you've got to get pressure with four. And so that takes away from another strength of yours, which has been well-timed pressure. Yes. Uh, I, I was going to say something about Fangio there. I mean, even yeah. the fact that we're talking about being concerned that a Saint Bassey is out speaks to Fangio's wow. skill. Like he he was able to take an undrafted player, develop him into essentially the Broncos' third best cornerback. In terms of, I mean, Michael Ojemudi and him are probably similar. What did this saying Bassey do to you? No, I'm what I'm saying is it talk about talk about Fangio taking an undrafted player and developing him to the level yeah. of where a Saint Bassey was on the field a lot. You said. You said we're talking about Isang Bassi being out. That's not very respectful, Phil. This is that's like when when uh, NBC put up a graphic with Kendall Hinton throwing at a a carnival, a carnival board game or carnival game and had a missing. Like he doesn't deserve that. Kendall Hinton doesn't deserve that. And so you're Bassie taking a shot. This. You're taking an official shot right here in the neutral zone at Fred Gadelli. Is that what you're doing? I just I want think to know. that that wasn't. I think that was too far. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm not saying. I mean, would you would you put a would you, you put a, a video up of of Shaq shooting free throws if he wasn't supposed to do that? He was. Maybe not a everybody. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's, like, uh, would you put up a graphic of Drew Locke kicking field goals? Let's leave the basketball talk to the big boys. Okay. 
<laughs> Would you put up a, a a graphic of Drew Lock kicking field goals and be like, well, he, he, only made, he only made one of eight field goals. What a moron. <laughs> um, I think you missed my point. I wasn't talking about a St. Bassie's level of play. I'm saying what his expectations were coming into the season compared to now that he's out, those expectations changed a lot over the course of the season. And that speaks to what Fangio is able to do with him in, in terms of developing him to the player that he is now. Yeah. I, I Sometimes think Sometimes you you mix my words up and then you say it how you think you heard it. And then people listening are like, God, what did Phil say? Yeah. And then you say, no, some people are saying that a saying Bassey wasn't a very good player, but I'm not saying that. Exactly. For the record, I think Asang Bassi played very well, very admirably. So do I. But you think it's only but because of Vic Fangio. I'm saying, and Ed Donatel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got it. They were able to coach him up and have him play significant minutes this season. That was impressive. Yeah, that's true. But let's get back to what we were originally saying, is that the Broncos are now, without those three, Michael Ojemudia, uh, Devontae Bosby, Duke Dawson. Who? Duke Dawson? Duke Dawson. And even Will Parks is going to have to probably come in and play some of that hybrid role, which he he thought he was going to be playing linebacker, nickel. He's going to be sort of that guy all over the field. Yeah. Hopefully, DJ Moore is not playing. Was there a thought there or were you just explaining? Um, well, the thought is how, how, well, the, the wondering is how are they going to be able to defend the Panthers? What would you well, do? That, what would you do, Eric, since you're such a genius? I think, oh, wow. This is getting hostile. Um, I mean, I think you have to put Bosby in. Oja Moody on the outside and play a guy like Will Parks or Duke Dawson in the slot. And I would, you know, I think the more, the longer the season goes along, the more Will Parks will probably play there. Is it realistic to ask him to play every snap in the slot after being here for a week? I don't know. Um, and listen, you're going to give up more catches. You're going to give up more big plays. Probably you just have to expect that it's going to be a little bit more difficult in that area and you have to decide, are we willing to give that up and just say, hey, we're going to continue to try to stand up against the run, continue to get pressure and just kind of hope on the back end? Or do we devote more resources on the back end and, and stop rushing the passer? I think I would continue to send pressure at times with, with Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell because, you know, I'm not sure that leaving, even if you have a little bit of extra help, I, don't, I'm not, I think at times like the, they'll still make their plays. And so might as well throw in a sack or two. And the Broncos have struggled at times to do that with only four rushers. I think that, it, you know, we talked about that Falcons game earlier. The Broncos gave up exactly 34 points in that game. That is a good. How many yards? Um, that's interesting that you bring that up, Eric. Uh, when, you know, when you're talking about yards, in a football game, you have to think about a lot of different things. And I would say Matt Ryan probably threw for like 284 yards is what I would say. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so 
No, exactly. Yeah, 284 yards is what I, that's just what I would say. Wow. But that's a pretty good representation for what we might be expecting in this game because the Broncos were without Callahan and Boye in that game. They did have Essane Bassey, but they got beat over the top for some really long touchdowns in, in that game. And that's what I think the Broncos have to avoid. Make Teddy Bridgewater drive them down the field. Make him make plays. Make him throw into tight coverage and, and go all the way down the field. And then if they get into the red zone, then maybe you change your idea. Uh, uh, maybe you bring some pressure there. But I would drop more into coverage and make him – decide what he's going to do, try and contain him in the pocket so that he's not scrambling all over the place and make him throw into some tight windows and uh, see what happens. Maybe some coverage sacks. Yeah. Well, I do think one of the elements with Teddy Bridgewater that you mentioned is that if you drop back into coverage, you have fewer guys available. If he does get loose to, to drag him down. Um, So that's something to consider. Uh, Listen, I just think guys are going to have to make plays one-on-one at times like you can't hide a cornerback for the entire game and certainly can't hide three of them um I think it was uh Michael Ojemudia who was on Julio Jones at one point in the Falcons game where Julio faked inside and went outside and you can't have a safety standing in the corner over there and so Ojemudia could have played it a little bit better played outside leverage uh to force him back inside but he had to make a play and didn't um now, Phil, I, w- I will say I'm maybe a little less concerned just because, to me, Bryce Callahan has been the, the team's best cornerback all season. And I, I'm not sure that's really debatable. Um, so the fact that they were able to stand up without him against the Chiefs gives me a little bit of encouragement just because is there a drop-off between A.J. Boye and Devontae Bosby or Michael Ojemudia? Yeah, I definitely think there is. But we've also seen A.J. Boye struggle at times this year, particularly tackling was an issue against the Chiefs. Um, There have been some issues in coverage. And so, you know, I think A.J. Boye can play at a level that's up here, but I don't know if the Broncos got that. And so I I don't think you're losing a a true shutdown cornerback, at least that we've seen, you know, at, at least the level we've seen him play the last few weeks. And so, maybe it's a survivable drop-off between Boye and, and Bosby or Ojemudia. Not to just spring this on you, but do you think that Boye has played his final game in Denver? Um, well, when I'll say, I don't know the details of the, the contract situation and that I don't know if, and I should know, but if that decision has to be made by March or if it can be made just before the season, like for example, Todd Davis, he had part of his, option picked up in March, but then really the decision just had to be made before the start of the regular season. And so it was, it was a different decision there. Whereas a guy like Von Miller, you were making that decision last March in March. And once you made that decision, it was final. Boye could benefit with the rest of the uncertainty at that position, because if Boye is gone, I think you a hundred percent have to draft a cornerback and you might have to draft a cornerback with your first pick um and so that means using a a the fifth somewhere between probably the like seventh and 15th pick it's looking like you'd have to use on a cornerback um and we know that john elway doesn't like to draft for need he likes to draft the best player available he doesn't like to get stuck could be a pass rusher 
Yep, a pass rusher is a, is a possibility too. I, I think those two positions are probably the most likely. Um, listen, they're going to move on from some guys. I don't think they'll move on from every guy. Some of the other ones that they could move on from are Vaughn, obviously, Jarrell Casey. Um, probably missing a guy or two here. They could figure out something to do Kareem. with Juwan James's contract. Yeah, Kareem Jackson. Um, they won't move on from every single one of those guys, I don't think. But they will move on from someone. So, yeah, A.J. Boy could certainly be gone. But I think just the uncertainty at that position and the fact that you know you need three good guys there uh, maybe gives Boye a little bit of leverage to stay. Yeah. He, he got suspended six games without pay. That's a pretty yeah. big blow. The the six games hurts because you know either way you're going into next year without a cornerback for the first two. And so maybe that's kind of the the straw that pushes you over and makes you decide to move on. Yeah. We'll have to uh, see what happens here. See what how, how the Broncos adjust. If anybody could do it, though, it's Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, some sort of a scheme here to uh, uh, face this uh, Panthers offense on Sunday. With that, let's get to uh, my conversation with Hall of Famer, a, for, a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and a current CBS analyst, James Lofton. Uh, asked him about a bunch of different things, but it uh, started out by asking him uh, what he thinks about a preview of this Sunday's game. Well, it, it's interesting because this is my first look at the Broncos this year. And I almost feel like I've been cheated because at the end of last year, you saw this, this promise. You saw Drew Locke. You saw Philip Lindsay. You saw Cortland Sutton. You saw a lot of things happening on offense that you thought would transfer over into this year. And it's kind of been a case of not so much so far. It seems like uh, the Broncos go as Drew Locke goes. You know, if he plays well, they tend to uh, be closer, win games. Uh, what have you seen from him? Uh, like you mentioned, not quite the same as those last five games from last season. Well, what you're always looking for, and I was thinking about this before we started the interview, you're looking for that quarterback stability. And as I look through the AFC West, and you, you look at that division by itself. You look at the, the Chargers with Justin Herbert. I think they, they found a quarterback that they think could be the guy for the next 10 or 12 years. Uh, the same thing with Derek Carr in Las Vegas. I had to hesitate there for a second to say Las Vegas. <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue. And we know the story in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. And obviously Bronco fans are curious they're, they're hoping, they've got their fingers crossed, because Drew Locke has had those moments where you go, yeah, I like that. And then he's had some moments where you go, that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, the consistency uh, hasn't been there. Uh, the Broncos went out this last offseason and brought in a bunch of weapons to help him out, including Jerry Judy, a first-round pick uh, at the wideout position. He only had one catch last week, though, James. I was wondering, uh, you know, as a Hall of Fame wide receiver yourself, What's it like that rookie year when maybe you're not seeing the, as many targets as you would hope for? And, and you're not seeing what you saw the year before while you were at the collegiate level where you are dominating almost each and every week. So I think that's a change for a lot of the Alabama, a lot of the LSU athletes, a lot of the Clemson athletes. When they come into the league, I was talking to one Clemson player last week, he had lost three games while he was in college. And this year, 
he's playing for the New York Jets. So quite a different story when you go from dominating at the collegiate level to being kind of one of the average teams in the NFL. And I think at every position, there, there's kind of that learning curve. And the thing that you really want to learn, it's not about who we play. It's about how I play. And I think the guys really have to focus on that. Uh, how do you not let that frustration uh, overtake you a little bit? Because he's posted some stuff on Twitter that people thought maybe be uh, related to the game. And, you know, just, uh, you know, when you're struggling like that uh, to get the targets or the production you want, how do you let that not affect you? Well, 40 years ago, players used to tell reporters, I don't read the newspaper. I don't watch television. Now they need to go to their, their Internet advisor and say, I'm not into social media. I stay away from that stuff because it, it really can taint the way that you feel about a fan base, the way that you feel about your, your performance, and maybe even the way that you feel about the guy sitting just on the other side of the locker room. So I think that you, you, you have to take that in small doses if you're doing it, and you can't just be addicted to it and on it so quickly after a game that you haven't had that cool-down period to kind of think about it and to look at the film and to talk to your coaches and to talk to your teammates. I was going to ask you about this Panthers matchup, uh, an interesting uh, relationship here with Christian McCaffrey. Obviously his dad, Ed McCaffrey, played so long here in Denver. Uh, that's, that, what do you think that's going to feel like for Christian this Sunday? Well, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a pro. And he probably had to go through it when he was at Stanford. If you, if you go play Colorado, which is, you know, your, your home state, different things like that. So you, you get over that. And for Christian, who's coming back from injury, he's only played three ball games this year. So he's kind of chomping at the bit for this last quarter of the season to get a chance to kind of show that he's the guy that was awarded the, the huge contract and that running backs don't have an early expiration date on themselves. Yeah, sometimes the timing doesn't work out quite well. <laughs> uh, James, uh, last question for you here. I think it's, this is the first time we've had a chance to chat since Steve Atwater was elected into the Hall of Fame. Uh, were you happy to see that uh, for a guy you went up against? I, I really was. And being one of the selectors, I, I tried not to go overboard in the meeting gushing about him. Uh, there were – and there are a lot of good strong safeties that are kind of on that list. John Lynch, who – also, Denver Broncos on that list. But for me, playing against somebody and understanding that we tried to stay away from him, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, knowing that you couldn't stay away from him because he was all over the field all the time. And he really was exactly what you wanted at the strong safety position at that time in the league. And uh, I'm just so happy for him. And um, – can't wait for 2021 to roll around where we can get those ceremonies going again back in Canton, Ohio. Yes, that's going to be an exciting weekend. I think Peyton Manning has a pretty good shot of also getting in his year. Yeah, he, he might just squeeze in there. So <laughs> maybe Peyton Manning. <laughs> James, I really appreciate your time and I look forward to seeing you on TV on Sunday. I'm, I'm looking forward to the broadcast. I love each and every weekend. My thanks to James Lofton for spending a little bit of time uh, chatting there. Ended by talking a little about the Hoff, Steve Atwater. Uh, happy that uh, he got in and probably Peyton Manning this year too, Eric. I would think so. Yeah, I, th I think probably, yeah.
So I won't, I won't hedge like you though. I'll say he'll get in. Oh, okay. I'll say he'll get in too. Yeah. Now that I've said it real easy yeah. for you to say that. Huh? <laughs> Eric, let's get to fact, fact and fiction. Okay. Are you Do ready? It. Yeah. Um, Brandon McManus. We, uh, we've talked a lot about him this season. He of course missed that field goal last week little bit of a negative connotation here but when you think of broncos and panthers this week uh, mm. you think about super bowl 50 you just think back to that game so many wonderful memories brandon mcmanus is the only broncos player who played in super bowl 50 who's expected to play this sunday okay, okay. number one brandon mcmanus is the only broncos player who played in Super Bowl 50 and is supposed to play this Sunday. Okay. Okay. That's number one. Number two, the Broncos and Panthers have not really played each other all that much, but the Broncos do own a five and one all time record against Carolina five and one all time against the Panthers. That's including Super Bowl 50. The only loss against the Panthers came in 2008 the head coach that day, John Fox for the Panthers. Oh. And okay. Eric, number three, we're going to see some old buddies on Sunday because the Panthers offensive line features three former Broncos, Matt Paradis, Russell Okun, and our good friend, Michael Schofield. That is number three. That was the that was that was it. Yeah, the Panthers' offensive line features three former Got Broncos: Got it. Matt okay. Paradis, Russell Okun, and Michael Schofield. Okay, wouldn't um, number three disprove number one? Because if Michael Schofield, Matt Paradis play, play in- okay, Brandon McManus is the only Broncos player who's supposed to play for the Broncos. This Sunday. Just going off the right. what you're reading, Phil. Sorry, sorry. Just going off what Brandon you're reading. Brandon McManus is the only Broncos player who played in Super Bowl 50 and is supposed to play for the Broncos this Sunday. Okay. And what was the second one? The what, second was the one rec- what was the record you said? I don't need the rest of the nonsense. Five and one all time. Okay. Five and one all time. The only loss, 2008. The Panthers head coach that day, John Fox. Five and one, including postseason. Is that correct? Including the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, well, the first one is definitely false. Okay. Who Who is the other player who's supposed to play? Well, Sylvester Williams is on the Broncos. That's true. That is the false one. That is the. the I'm also skeptical that they've played the Panthers that many times, but um, I'll go with. I'm that going with true. the first one, and I was right. So. <laughs> yes, that's true. But they have a, they played five. They're five and one all time against the Panthers. Do you want me to read you the other games? So? No. I, I mean, care. is that what you want? Is that what is entertaining <laughs> to you? <laughs> Would you like to just like that you uh, you disproved your first one with your third one? That's all. That's a new. That's impressive, even for I you. I think that I think everybody knew what I meant. Their first matchup, nineteen ninety seven. Okay, so that's a long time. Yeah, I wasn't even born for another Five 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Eric, you know what's interesting? I looked this up. Uh, uh, that only loss in 2008, that game was played on December 14th, 
in Carolina. And this year, the game, December 13th in Carolina. In Carolina. This is only the third this time they'll play in Carolina, I believe. On December 13th? <laughs> just just in general. Got it. Okay. Yes. Let me, let me look that up because you never know if you can trust the, anything that you say. Um, you're probably like, it's probably like the second or third or fourth maybe time that they're playing there. Yes, that is correct. Just the third time that they're playing in Carolina. Of course, that's your, uh, your home state there on the East coast. One of them. Yeah. Also Pennsylvania, Florida, New Hampshire, pretty much any Chicago and Colorado. Chicago's not a state, but um, yeah. Illinois. That's okay. We knew what you were trying Uh, to say. We knew what you were trying to say. So you're a winner. Congratulations. (laughs) I feel like one, Phil. Yeah, I really do. Congratulations. Uh, Let's get to fill in the blank. This is uh, the game where Eric comes up with a scenario and leaves a little blank. (laughs) I should say usually comes up with something here. Oh, wow. That's a shot. Um, Okay, Phil, your first fill in the blank. We saw uh, Jerry Judy take to Twitter briefly, take to Twitter and then delete. I'm not sure quite how to phrase it. Um, But he tweeted, at least I got my conditioning in after the Broncos lost to the Chiefs. Drew Locke was asked about it on Wednesday. Mm. Fangio was asked about it on Wednesday. When you see Judy tweet that, you feel blank. Uh, I feel um, I can understand where he's coming from because one catch, we talked about this a little bit on Monday, very frustrating. I understand that, you know, uh, that's not what he was picked at 15th to come in here and do to, to just the uh, – come up with one catch i if you go back and look at the all 22 uh there are maybe a couple of other plays where he was open but uh here's what uh drew Locke had to say he said uh you want a receiver that wants the ball you want a guy that wants it in his hands and wants to make the plays that's what we like about jared so i think that uh that was probably the right thing to say. I bet that those two have probably had some conversations this week about saying, hey, maybe look my way a little bit more often. Uh, I was the 15th overall pick. Yeah. Um, I think my reaction is that it's not a problem for now. Um, I think he's a young player, and sometimes young players express themselves on social media, express themselves – um, through traditional media in a way where you're kind of thinking in the moment. You're maybe not thinking about the consequences of that. Um, I think there are probably better ways to handle it. And um, while Vic Fangio said, I don't mind that he's frustrated, I'd probably be, he, they'd probably be more concerned if he was okay with having one catch. But I do think, you know, maybe that's something that should be kept internally, um, discussed directly with Drew, Shermer, whoever the appropriate people are, but um, I don't know if that needs to be on Twitter necessarily. And I I will say, Phil, wide receivers have a – Vic Fangio said this. I don't know any (laughs) wide receiver that doesn't want the ball more. Wide receivers want targets and they want catches. And, you know, I I do think that one of the challenges of having so many talented people on your offense and Judy, Corlin Sutton when he's healthy, Noah Fant, Albert O when he's healthy – 
a Tim Patrick, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, is they all want the ball. And when you're winning, you know, guys kind of maybe you have two catches one game and you're okay with that. When you're losing, I think then you start to wonder, well, hey, why am I not getting more targets? Why am I not getting more carries? Why am I not getting more catches? We haven't seen that really boil over. Um, well, Eric, but- I was going to say that kind of statement you don't think about that situation that often because it's kind of counterintuitive that like, oh, you have so many talented players, but you're losing. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that's where the Broncos are right here because they're still only scoring like 16 points a game, you know? So it's not like they have this overwhelming wealth of talent. That's like, there's not enough time to spread the ball around. Well, but I think someone like Noah Fant, and he said this in the media, he said, I, you know, I don't know why I'm not getting the ball more on third down. And somebody like him could say, you know, and he didn't say this. This is me saying this. You know, if see, that's kind of like a reverse. Who's saying you. It? That's the reverse yeah. of you. Who's you saying say, it? I'm not saying this. Someone else is. I'm saying he's not saying this. I am. <laughs> Little, I went reverse Phil. Um, Noah could say, if you threw me the ball more on third down, we would be scoring more than 16 points and we would be having more success. And I think probably. Uh, there are several offensive players that could feel that way. And you're right. It doesn't happen a ton. Like it's not like in, in Denver, uh, Demarius Thomas and uh, Eric Decker, you know, were freaking out because yeah, because they were good. Julius Thomas. Right. Right. Well, they didn't complain because they were winning, but they're like a a situation like you have in Dallas right now where you've got Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and CD lamb. You know, I haven't followed closely enough to know what they've said in the press or on social media, but, like I could see those guys getting frustrated, you know, and, and certainly Phil, we saw it here. Uh, our friend, Emmanuel Sanders, who a really talented receiver, but he got frustrated when this team was not performing well. And that was kind of in games where he did not get targets and they didn't play well and lost. We saw that frustration boil over. Um, and I don't think that was healthy at times. And I just hope that they're able to work that out here. So it, it doesn't go down that path. Well, let me ask you this, Eric, uh, the other part of Drew Locke's state, uh, answer on Wednesday to that question was sometimes in the flow of the game, uh, he looks at option number one, maybe option number one is open. So he throws it and Judy was option number two. He also said, maybe he's going to one and then he's going to two and Judy isn't one of those options. He said it has to do with game flow. And that's something that Jerry's learning this year. Why isn't he the number one option more often? And if he's not the number one option, shouldn't he be the number two option? Yeah. Um, I think part of that probably has to do with that they're in a new system and Drew's probably still learning the intricacies of it. I think a young quarterback is less likely to be able to maybe dial in on, on the matchup that's working best. I mean, certainly if you play Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, um, or Patrick Mahomes, or even uh, in Vegas, like this weekend, Darren Waller had a really nice game. Veteran quarterbacks seem to figure out, you know, when to pick on somebody and when to keep going back at them. I think it might be harder. Maybe Drew is not at that point where he can recognize, um, okay, I got to go to Jerry five times in a row if they're not going to have somebody that can cover him. Um the rest of it in terms of the game to game flow. Yeah. Should, should Judy be prioritized a little bit? Probably. Um, I noticed he lines up on the left a lot, Phil. And if you look at Drew's targets, he doesn't 
go to the left very often. I don't know if that's um, because he's not as comfortable with it, if it's because his reads start on the right side of the field, if it's because um, guys that he's more comfortable with are, are running routes on the right side of the field. But that to me seems like something that you could fix by moving Judy around. Um, and again, I, I don't know the exact number of snaps that he's taken on the left versus the right feels like he's often on the left. Um, they do need to get it figured out. And again, it is easy. Phil, you're actually, you're pretty consistent. I'll give you credit for this. You don't, you don't just complain about it when the Broncos are losing. There are times when the Broncos are winning and you say, well, why does Judy still only have two targets? Like they need to keep going to him or they need to do this. Um, and I can respect that persistence there. But for me, I'm trying to think what, what game it was. It, it might have even been during the Chiefs game when they took the lead in the third quarter and people were talking about Judy. My reaction was kind of, at that point at least, well, they're winning. They've scored two touchdowns. They just had a really successful drive. Um, they're taking time off the clock. If they're able to do that without Judy getting the ball, why does it really matter? Um, obviously, the fourth quarter didn't go as you wanted it to, but I think maybe some of that was because the broadcast featured his cleats a little bit. And when they brought that up, they were like, oh, by the way, Judy does not have a catch tonight. Um, so that maybe brought some attention to it when maybe it wasn't really a big deal. I'll say this. Football is definitely a game of tendencies because the game happens so fast. You oftentimes re result back to some of your revert revert. That was the word. That was a, your tendencies, you know? So when it's a big play and there's something, there's a lot happening, Drew, his tendency is to go to his right. He likes to scramble that way. He likes to look that way. And um, yeah, I, I'm just interested to see how they handle this because, you know, one of the things that we really liked about Drew last year, this off season was his leadership skills. He, he was this locker room guy who everybody really liked. Von, Von Miller called him a, like a rock star, superstar kind of person. I'm interested to see how Drew handles this situation with Jerry Judy. Is this the kind of thing where he pulls him aside and says, hey, let's not be going to social media and doing these types of things. Uh, just like, let's work this out just between you and me. We don't know what those conversations have been like. You know, maybe he has had those conversations Um but I do think that it's something to pay attention to. Do the Broncos go completely 180 and just throw them the ball a million times this game? How do they handle that? Uh, it's something to pay attention to. Well, it is. And two other points, and maybe it's the same point kind of. You like to do that. You, well, revert, you revert back to your tendencies. Which is just take out, say ramble. a lot of stuff at once. Yeah. Um, I like to honor the former lead writer by doing the same thing that he used to. It's kind of like an homage. Um, this can't be something where Judy's just like, well, I'm going to, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm on the same page with Drew or not, because the hope of course, is that they're here together for the next five, 10 years, you know, like well, it matters. They, they got to get this figured out because next year um, the COVID excuse, hopefully, goes away hopefully you have an off season hopefully you have a healthier team you got to make it happen next year at the very least you know if, if drew lock ends up being the starter next year um 
you've got to make it work. And so they've got to figure it out. And I, I wonder if part of the reason that at critical times, Drew is not going to Jerry is because, and we talked about this Monday, Phil, that the reception to target ratio is not good for Jerry Judy. I think he has 30, he does have well, 38 catches on 82 he, targets. He was targeted on that fourth down play where he was intercepted. I mean, he is going to him, and it's right. not like he's shying away because he's afraid that Jerry's going to drop the ball. I don't think that's the case. No, I, I, I do wonder though if you like see that Judy's kind of. I, I don't think it just has to do with Jerry not catching it. I think Drew knows for whatever reason they have not been able to have the consistent connection that they need, and so if you see an open Tim Patrick and you see an open Jerry Judy. Maybe you just are subconsciously going to Tim Patrick because you know you've completed X times more passes to him. Well, I think Patrick was open on that fourth down play and would have had the first down. Yes, certainly on the fourth down. Um, we saw, Phil, that people drew attention to the the third and three near midfield um, yeah. where he threw to K.J. Hamler. People made a big deal that Jerry Judy ended up breaking his defender's ankles. The guy ended up on the ground and he was wide open. And we watched the full play. So I'm of the opinion that at the time Drew made the decision to throw, which I thought was the appropriate time to make the decision to throw. He didn't need to hold on to the ball longer. Judy was kind of covered up by the defender. It was not really possible to tell that he was falling at that point. And he made the right read to KJ. It was a throw down the middle of the field. Wasn't a perfect throw, but KJ could have caught it. Um, And so that play to me is not... But, but there are, there's a ton of plays where we see Judy run a perfect route on the backside of the formation and get open. And it's like, he's not part of the read. And so I don't know if that's drew, if that's the offense or or what that is, but there's too many plays where he's kind of a secondary thought, but still don't Twitter's not the right way to do it. Exactly. I agree with you. The last point I'll make is just that, you know, what kind of route runner he is. When you're a really great route runner, you're going to be open a lot. So that, that doesn't mean he has to throw it to him every single time. But maybe what they could do is try to target a wider range of guys early in the game so it feels like everybody's part of it. You know, just, you know, it's not like you would hand the ball off to Melvin Gordon, th- you know, 20 times in a row and then be like, oh, now let's get some, Phil Lindsay some carries. You mix it in. You use. You, uh, you spread it around, and that way it feels like everybody's engaged in the game. Maybe they should – not that they should. Maybe they'll try to do that. So you want like a kindergarten situation where everybody gets a turn, everybody gets to feel empowered, and then what, maybe they won't You know what tweet. would actually what be really – I think what would actually be really nice is if they didn't even keep score this next game. <laughs> yeah. And, Why didn't we – we should have done that last game. And, or against and the Saints, that could have been nice. Maybe they could just consider – if everybody had a really fun afternoon, that's yeah. what's most important. Yeah. And then maybe Jerry Judy will tweet like smiley faces. Correct. And he'll be like, had a really nice day at the park with my friends. And I got in my conditioning. And he got in some conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, could be nice. That's true. Maybe they could play patty cake afterward too. Sounds like what you're asking for. But I do think that if you give somebody the ball earlier, get them involved in the game plan, get them energized and engaged. You're going to see better production throughout the contest. The strategy. Strategy. True. But you can't be like, um, 
you like to say Noah Fant's beating him every time. Why are they not targeting Noah Fant 10 times? You can't say that and then also be like, well, everybody needs a turn. Like if you, it has to be one or the other. If you see a matchup that is being dominated, you go to that guy again and again and again. But I assume that then the defense will adjust rather quickly. Then you get the other guy in. Gosh, I'm a little That's worried perfect. that we're going to lose you That's to perfect. a team, you know, an offensive coordinator somewhere in the league, certainly college at the, the very least. Uh, and I'm going to have to find a new co-host. Oh, hello. Is that them now? Hey, Pat, what's going on? You want my help with the game plan this week? Are you sure? Okay. No, I'm just doing something with Eric Delala. Do you know who that is? Uh, he's like a writer guy. You don't? Yeah, you never heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll tell him I got to go, and I'll give you a call right back. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye, Pat. Sorry. Uh, that That's was okay. A, that Did everybody Pat hear Shermer. that? That could have been embarrassing <laughs> yeah, if everyone heard that. That was, that, was, uh, that was Pat Shermer. No, I was thinking maybe CU after the Big Ten takes oh. another one of their coaches. Oh, man. You cut to the core of me. Wow. Just slice me right up right there. No, but I do think, like, Noah Fant has a reason, I think, to be upset. He had targets in the first half. It was working really well. Um, He's, you know, some slippery slippery grass away from having a long play at the end of the first half. And then I don't think he had a catch in the second half. And so That's crazy. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And so, you know, Noah could be like, he could get on Twitter and be like, "Glad I got my conditioning in on in the fir- in the second half," but he didn't yeah, do that. He didn't do that. And I, That's true. But I do think he probably raised concerns to somebody, or at least made it known that he's that he wasn't pleased about that. Yep. I would yep. think. Yeah, I agree with you. Should not uh, go to social media. Handle it internally. Yeah. So, I okay, Phil, so we spent a lot of time on that phone the blank. So I'll just give you one more. Um, Melvin Gordon should get blank percent of the carries this week. Ooh. Broncos country, very sensitive about this topic. Mm-hmm. Very sensitive. You're in not my opinion. In, opi- in my opinion, yeah, I'm not saying I'm sensitive. I'm not sensitive about this because I have opinions about it. I think that um, early in a game, I can tell if this is going to be a Philip Lindsay kind of game, or if this is going to be a Melvin Gordon kind of game. And it has to do with like the first couple of touches. Like I saw the first couple of touches Philip Lindsay had against the chiefs. He was getting tackled on first contact, first contact, boom, he was down either around the line of scrimmage, one yard gains behind the line of scrimmage in those kind of games. It's a Melvin Gordon kind of game because he's, he's built differently. He's able to absorb hits and keep going forward. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Most of Melvin's fumbles occur when he's fighting for those last couple of yards, you know, and, and he's trying to get the, that one yard. And everybody says, Philip Lindsay never fumbles. I was like, Lindsay is rarely in a situation where he's fighting for more yards and he's like refusing to go down. He usually just goes down. That's not a knock on Lindsay. That's just, he's built differently. So I think that Melvin should probably get somewhere around 68% of, 68% of the carries. Wow. Specific. Don't, don't make me go to 70. 
first I want to say heck of a game, heck of a game by Melvin Gordon. I mean, he ran hard. He, I was worried there, you know, you just, you sometimes get a feeling with the Broncos against the chiefs where you're like, something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen and they're going to lose this game. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't, it didn't happen in the way I thought it was going to, which is that I thought after the chiefs went up, I don't know if I texted you this or not. I I think I said something like this would be a really bad time for a fumble. I think because, because there are times when Melvin fights for those yards, like you said, and loses the ball. And it just has felt like in some games this year, that's happened at really bad times, you know? And so first of all, kudos to him for fighting for those extra yards while not fumbling the football. And really, I think that's the only knock on Melvin because he's otherwise been very consistent. He's run hard, um, gained more yards more consistently. He, I do want to say something with Phillip is that, there's this notion on Twitter that Philip is not getting the right plays called for him, that he needs stuff mm. only to the outside. He needs stuff that a speedy running back would get that they're calling good plays for Gordon, but not for Philip. Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay were both hit at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage at mm. times against the chiefs. Melvin Gordon got through it. Melvin Gordon powered through those defenders and turned a one yard gain into four or five, which can make every little bit of, the difference when you're trying to stay ahead of the chains. Philip didn't do that. Was that a one-game thing? Is that something that's going to continue to hurt him? I don't know. I will say, Phil, I think teams are recognizing that Melvin Gordon is in the game more in passing situations. And so when Phillip's in there, they're guessing like this, is, this is probably going to be a run and they can, uh, you know, they can go after him. And so the way you kind of get away from that is a screen pass, or throwing the ball normally when he's in there, but he's got to show in those situations that he can hold on to the ball, that he can catch it, that he can make those plays. And we've seen a couple of times where he, where he hasn't done it. That doesn't mean that he can't do it, but I, I do think Melvin outside of the turnovers has been more consistent and a bigger threat. And also for, for all the talk, Phil, of Philip Lindsay being that home run guy, he is a between the tackles runner, just like Melvin Gordon. They have a similar style of play. And Melvin Gordon now has two of the longer runs of the season. Um, Let me ask you that, though. That 65-yard run by Melvin Gordon, does Philip Lindsay get caught in that situation? Does he get free in that situation, I think, is also a good point. Because that was not a, you know, Melvin had to kind of get by a couple guys real quick before he broke into the open field. You know, maybe maybe Philip. Dalton made a nice block. Yeah. Philip Philip is probably gone in that situation, but I don't know if if he gets through there the way Melvin does. Um, yeah, and also just you know you can't crowd the box when Melvin's in there because you know they could be throwing it, and uh, you know we've just seen Philip struggle at times in pass protection. I will say the one thing that has kind of surprised me is how little the Broncos have thrown to their running backs, just because we heard ahead of the year that Pat Shermer said that's a major part of this offense. You got to be able to catch. And we haven't seen it. And so I don't know if that's uh, Drew Locke not being comfortable throwing to the running backs. I don't know if that's Pat Shermer deciding Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon don't have the skill set he wants to execute those plays, if it's situational or, or what it is. But screens have not really happened except for the last game. And when they did happen, they went to Noah Fant. They're not going to running backs. And then uh, 
you know, swing passes to running backs or, or dump offs. Those aren't happening either. Not really sure why, but certainly an element you need to fix in the offense going into next year. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a problem with the skill set of Gordon and Philip Lindsay. We've seen them do that, especially Melvin Gordon did that a lot with the chargers. So um, I do think though, with Lindsay, he's definitely not as complete of a running back. I mean, I think that we know that, but in certain situations, he can be absolutely lethal, you know, and I don't think that it's a case of, Oh, Shermer's calling bad plays for him that aren't allowing him to have that success. It's just that the situation has to be right for Philip Lindsay to get the ball in space and just take it. You know, I don't think it's not like he's doing something that's putting Philip Lindsay in bad spots because he wants he wants to have the success on offense. It's just that for whatever reason, it seems like early in a game, you can just tell this isn't really Philip Lindsay type of game. You know, the opposite is true too. Like that chief, the first chiefs game in the snow here, Lindsay was killing him, you know, and he was like slicing and dicing and he was getting big gains and he was like running hard. And you're like, okay, this is a Philip Lindsay kind of game, but like the Raiders game or this game, little more physical it felt like and it just doesn't feel like uh those are the kind of games that Lindsay has a lot of success in yeah and and to be frank the broncos uh third third to last and second to last drives philip Lindsay got two carries and both those carries really hurt the broncos i think he got minus one on the broncos third to last drive they ended up punting after i think it went minus one philip then a four-yard gain from melvin and then they threw incomplete on third down and then the next drive, second and four, Phillip only gets one yard. That sets up the third and three to K.J. Hamler that is not caught. Both of those plays hurt, and you wonder what happens if you keep Melvin in there. Um, Phil, this is a little bit bold. People are not going to like this. Kind of like a West Rock coffee, bold. And people love West Rock coffee. Yes, though. but I'm saying just the bold part of it. Yeah, exactly. Gold package, elephant on the front, what's not to like? Gold and bold. I will say, um, I think a way to get Philip Lindsay going, and, and this is the bold part, maybe the the main time he should be used is when he's on the field with Melvin Gordon. Mm. Because then you can't say, are they going to run it? Are they going to pass it? Because you don't really know. You know, there, There's kind of that element of surprise. Melvin Gordon can stay in the pass block if he needs to. Philip can still get some carries. You can swing Melvin wide in the passing game if you want to. But I think right now, Philip Lindsay, the teams are just keying in on him as a runner only. And right now, I think you're better off to stick with Melvin Gordon unless Melvin needs a break. Yeah. I mean, I get why people love Philip Lindsay. First of all, he's a Colorado kid. He's a tough runner. He's a feisty guy. He's got the competitive spirit. Uh, there's a lot to love about Philip Lindsay. And when you see him take some of these plays in the past where he's taken them to the house, there's excitement and you know that he's capable of doing those things. But when you become so infatuated with a guy, sometimes it's hard to recognize the bad things too. And I don't think that Philip Lindsay would blame anyone for his performance the other night other than himself. You know, I think that, you know, what Melvin had 15 carries, Lindsay had 14 carries, and their production was not very similar. So, 
Uh, That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about with it? No, I don't, I don't think so. I just, I I do. No one is out to get Philip Lindsay. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody on this staff doesn't like him. Nobody is, um, Oh, you were wrong. I think actually with your number of carries, were you not? uh, uh, I'm not really wrong ever. So yeah, 15 Um, and 14. I was pretty, no, I was exactly right there. Yeah. Um, I, and listen, you know, people have asked what's, what's up with Philip Lindsay's contract. What's next. I think the answer is we don't know if, if a long-term contract is in the cards, he has a restricted free agent next year. I think there's a good chance that he's back for at least one more season. Um, of course, there's a chance you could do a longer term deal, but you just got to figure it out. I do think for him to be, whether it's here or anywhere else, an every down back and, and like that lead guy, he's got to get better at, at pass blocking. And I don't know how you do that at his size because he is a smaller guy, but um, I think he's got the drive to, to figure it out. He definitely has a drive. I think you could just put it one one way. Some people were upset when Melvin Gordon came in here and they went out and got him. But at this point in the season, aren't you feeling a lot better about that running back room, knowing that Melvin is in there? Yeah, of course. I mean, and Philip Lindsay, listen, he's going to get the chance probably to show what he can do as the main guy. Because, again, because – Melvin Gordon at some point is going to face a suspension. We don't know if that's this year. We've kind of heard that it could be, um, I think, better for the Broncos probably if it is this year, as opposed to, you know, get it out of the way, don't have it linger into 2021. But in that case, Philip Lindsay will be the lead back. He'll get to prove that he can pass block, that he can catch the ball out of the backfield, all those things. But um, I think that that's got to be among the, the lowest yards per carry averages of his career and just not a great night for him. And the ba- the past two seasons, he's obviously rushed for more than a thousand yards. His carries around 200, 192 is rookie season, 224 last year, just 96 attempts this year. So drastically down, but also only 440 yards rushing this season. So. Yeah. I mean, his yards per, his yards per carry are actually better than last year. He's just, he's also missed, some time here um that true that too and just one touchdown this season yeah well and we 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 talked about that before the season phil that the yardage numbers could be somewhat similar and that Lindsay's touchdown numbers could be way lower just because we expected gordon to be that guy that you go to near the goal line yeah yep the bigger back the more physical guy he can kind of we saw him almost get in uh when he got stopped right at the goal line. But yes, I think that uh, he's more of a, a red zone threat. Uh, this season, Gordon, 149 attempts, 685 yards rushing, but six touchdowns. So you and me, we were spot on. We know everything. Yeah, exactly. Eric, with that, let's get to some shout outs here and uh, wrap up this episode of the Neutral Zone. Anybody that you would like to shout out? Um, we'll shout out Liz Manis. Of course. I think by the time this podcast goes up, I'll schedule it as such, Phil. Uh, Our friend Justin Simmons will have been named the Walter Payton Man of the Year for the Broncos again. Whoa. Okay. So Very exciting. So we knew this information before it came out. 
I mean, I think people know that I'm just telling you for the first time, but I knew. You, how did you find out that? Oh, well, I guess an R never reveals the sources. Exactly. No, I prepared a press release from the NFL. That's how I knew. Um, okay. But yeah, congratulations to Justin. Uh, another, he's the second or the, excuse me, the first player we believe in the Broncos history to be named the Walter Payton man of the year in back-to-back seasons. Only the fourth guy they believe to be nominated on more than one occasion, joining Rod Smith, Champ Bailey, and Wesley Woodyard. Uh, just hard to imagine anybody more deserving than Justin Simmons. Justin Simmons that makes a, a big effort to get out in the community, even this year uh, with everything going on, the COVID protocols, he can't go to like the Denver rescue mission or he can't go to some of these other different, you can't do play 60 kind of things in person, but he's made an effort on his off days to, I think he has like a zoom meeting every single week uh, with the same group and is very involved in the community, even uh, in a different kind of way this year. Yeah, he does. Or I think it wrapped up, but he um, does a rise training with a group of boys and girls club members about, um, you know, uh, racial equality and who you are as people and kind of trying to fix from the ground level some of the things that are, are issues in this nation and um, not getting paid for it, obviously. He's not doesn't have yeah. to do this, but he takes time every week to to do that stuff. Just really impressive. And, and shout out to Liz Manis for setting up those Zooms, of course. She sets up the Zooms and does a great yeah. job. Setting at up them. Zooms does not go unnoticed. Just impressive. That's true. She, she does take a lot of time and effort to make that happen. Phil, I'll give uh, one more shout out if that's okay. I'll allow uh, it. You know we like met new members of Neutral Zone Nation. Uh, Logan Boho reached out via Twitter. He, uh, he lives in Michigan, I believe, or Wisconsin. And uh, they don't get a lot. Typical Dalala, just not sure, really. They get a <laughs> lot of Broncos uh, – or they don't get a lot of Broncos games. His fans are all, he lives in Michigan. His fans are all Packers fans. Uh, and he in just Michigan. Loves, yeah. I don't really understand. Um, but he sent some long texts about how much he knows about this team, how much he cares about this team. Um, and uh, shout out to him for being just really invested. I told him, I answered back and I said, Phil, we couldn't do what we do. We wouldn't be able to have the neutral zone. We wouldn't have good morning Broncos country. You wouldn't have the out route without dedicated members of neutral zone nation and Broncos fans all over the place. Uh, so we do appreciate those people. That's true. That's why they call it Broncos country. It's yeah. not like Broncos state or like Broncos city. It's not that Broncos well, country. So anybody that lives outside of the United States of America is they don't count to you. I th- I've been, uh, knocking on the door with our marketing department because I'm like, it's time that we call it Broncos Globe. Broncos you know? Universe. Right. Yeah, exactly. Why stop there? You know? Yeah. Uh, exactly. And um, hopefully, Phil, on Monday, we get to celebrate a victory Monday. We've got it on our calendar. Jeff, that Flanagan's would be very course. nice. Jeff, yeah. I checked my Google calendar. Jeff Flanagan has scheduled Victory Monday for Monday. We'll be back Monday breaking down whatever happens in this uh, Broncos and Panthers game. Uh, 
Let's wrap up the show here, if you will, uh, Eric. We talked about a lot of different things. How can the Broncos continue their success that they had on the field against the Chiefs into this Sunday, even though three defensive backs will be out for this team? My thanks to James Lofton, the Hall of Famer, the analyst for CBS. He'll be in the booth on Sunday, taking some time to chat. I thought some pretty good perspective there on Jerry Judy. So, uh uh, thanks to him for joining us on the neutral zone. Then we talked fact, fact, fiction. And we also talked Phil in the blank, our usual shenanigans. Uh, if you'd like to uh, get in touch, do uh, as Mr. Boho did. Reach out on Twitter at Eric Delala with an A, at Phil Milani with a PH. We'll be back on Monday, but until then, for Eric Delala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to. A neutral, a neutral zone. zone. This is Bronco Batman. And you're listening to the neutral zone. <laughs>